are listening to EE Times On Air, and this is EE Times Current. I'm Eric Singer. In today's episode, Nitin Dahad, editor-in-chief of Embedded.com, interviews Peter Clark, technology journalist, to discuss the current dynamics of the global startup ecosystem and emerging technology trends highlighted in EE Times' 23rd edition of The Silicon 100. But first, today's EE Times Current Highlights. Chip experts see talent shortage as main growth hurdle. The semiconductor talent shortage is likely the largest impediment to growth, the latest example coming last week from a fab construction delay announced by Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. But Chips Act subsidies may be adding to the problem, executives and analysts agree. Cerebris sells $100 million AI supercomputer and plans eight more. G42 and Cerebrus have partnered to build a significant AI supercomputer, Condor Galaxy 1, which is the first supercomputer-scale cluster of AI chips from any startup, validating the market for non-GPU hardware at scale. The partnership represents a deal worth, quote, in excess of $100 million, end quote, Cerebrus CEO Andrew Feldman told the E-Times. The golden age of custom silicon draws near. In this exclusive three-part series, Anton Shilov, a veteran technology writer, explores a trend steadily growing in the semiconductor industry, companies opting to design their own custom SOCs to differentiate themselves from their rivals. Find all these stories and more on eetimes.com. If you're on this episode's webpage, there are direct links to these articles. Subscribe to EE Times On Air and EE Times Current by clicking the subscribe button at the top of today's episode page or searching EE Times On Air on all the major podcast platforms. And now, on to today's interview. Ah, hello. So I'm here with uh, Peter Clark, curator of the Silicon 100 report, which E Times produces every year. Peter, hello. Hello, Nitin. So, Peter, you've been doing this for a few years. Tell me what are the key highlights of this year's Silicon 100, 2023. Okay. Yes, I think this is the 19th year that we've done the Silicon 100. And it's about the fourth since we went from 60 companies to 100 companies. And this year, there's three particular things that I highlight. One is continued high levels of interest in artificial intelligence, startups that are trying to address various aspects of that market. A second highlight is a significant surge in highly funded Chinese startup activity. And I would say the third trend is the fact that the the wavefront for startups is becoming a lot broader. So in all sorts of areas from Mm. power semiconductors through displays, materials, and so on, we're seeing a lot of early startup activity. Well, I think that's quite interesting because two years ago when we did this chat, you said, oh, has AI peaked? And you thought maybe had. (laughs) What's the verdict now? Well, it hadn't. We were seeing that AI companies, startups have been around for quite a while. There were a lot of them appearing on in the wild and in the Silicon 100. And I was starting to think that the time for a shakeout was approaching. But I think with, with hindsight, we can see that the high levels of interest in even more complex machine learning algorithms, deep learning, whatever you want to call it, chat GPT, is going to drive a, another pulse of AI startup activity. We're also seeing that a lot of the early startups were, were trying to address big data centers, a lot of algorithms which were being written for the data center. We're now starting to see that move 
towards AI at the edge, which is a much more varied and mm. rich environment. So that creates a lot of opportunities, of application-specific opportunities. If anything, the, the level of interest and the number of startups that are particularly being formed to address AI has gone up again. I, th I think it's going to carry on for a few more years. And maybe we were lo looking forward to quantum computing as being the next thing. And, and I, I would have to say that is still a little bit further away. It's a probably end of this decade type thing. Yeah, that's still, I mean, it's a lot of research. I, I think probably you've, I, I'm not sure if you had highlighted any in, in the Silicon 100, but I think there, that's still a lot of research and there are some, yeah. some in that area as well. I think we have six quantum computing companies on, on the Silicon 100. But yeah, a lot of that work is still sort of small volumes of chip numbers, prototype devices, demonstrators, and a lot of it's being shared with other R&D engineers and with academics. There is not yet that killer application where suddenly everybody is saying this is where we can sell high volumes of chips or systems. But you're also seeing a lot of overlap with photonics and, and AI. So these are all highly promising and interconnected areas which are gradually thrusting themselves and, and, and adjacent markets forward. We were going to address that later, but I'll ask now anyway. But there's a whole continuum of applications which now there's not really that much demarcation from one to the other unless you, uh, you, know, you can label it one way, but it's actually doing a lot of other things as well. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose uh, another sort of subtrend that we're seeing in the Silicon 100 and the startup activity is there is tendency towards full stack, what's called full, full stack offering, which will include yeah. optimized hardware, firmware, software, algorithms, printed circuit boards or modules, and possibly systems, even services. Mm. We used to have a very well developed industry that was a lot of segregation you, you you'd have chips would chip companies would sell to board companies would sell to computer companies the complexity of technology these days means that you need that deep understanding of the algorithms and the software to be able to optimize the hardware and it's easiest to do that under one roof yeah and i think that's what i keep hearing from a lot of companies now when they brief us yeah, so it's the full stack. Yeah, we do the full stack. So I think right up to communications and the hardware accelerators and all that. Yeah. Let's focus on the startup scene in general. What's the direction of travel? Where are we heading and both trends-wise as well as geographically? Well, we've discussed AI and how that is yep. starting to grab a slightly larger share of, of, of the 100. We've also mm. seen in, in recent years a lot of, for example, wide band gap semiconductor activity at materials level and power device level mm. that's still well represented i suppose in the marketplace we've started to see the big companies start to really scale up the sts the wolf speed and infineon and others and that starts to put a bit of you know they're acquiring startup companies to help them address that but it's starting to put a bit of pressure back on some of those wbg companies Display activity is very rich around micro-LED. I mean, there was the expectation that Apple would move to micro-LED. I think they went with OLED in their recently announced virtual reality headset, but the expectation is they will go to micro-LED. There's a lot mm. of hope and activity around micro-LED displays, which, of course, are emissive, generally considered to be superior to a lot of the previous technologies. 
And we're seeing all of that activity. There is undoubtedly a tremendous entrepreneurial interest, particularly forming startup companies. What we've seen a little bit less of in the last year is the the larger amounts of VC money for scale-up. I think there's still Mm. plenty of startups being created. The scale-up has turned down slightly, and I think the global economy is struggling, the geopolitics is creating some uncertainty around the world. And I think that is hurting some of the startups that have been around for a while and now coming back for, you know, asking for some major amounts of money. There's this little bit of pressure there, particularly in in the West, less so in China. I mean, that's the other thing that I mentioned at the top of the interview is we've seen enormous numbers of Chinese startups, particularly fabulous chip Mm. companies, addressing all of these markets, digital and analog According to a German think tank in in Berlin, which did a sort of study based on all the data they could get over the last three years, 20 to 22, the level of activity in China over this time has been, I think they said, three times the level of activity in the US and six times the level of activity in the European Union. That's a lot of startup companies. (laughs) Uh, many of whom will be hoping to gain access to leading-edge silicon through foundries. So you can see how the geopolitics starts to intrude there. Well, I think the one thing you said to me in our pre-chat, there's a big rise in, for example, automotive and in China startups and requirement for advanced silicon, and then how is that going to play? I'm not going to ask you the geopolitical question, but that's going to have some impact. Yeah, they were probably expecting that they could go to TSMC, they could go to Global Foundries, they could go to Samsung and get, you know, 7 nanometer, 5 nanometer, 3 nanometer silicon made. We know last year that one particular Chinese company, Byron Technology, which had a complex AI chip, a GPU-style AI chip that they thought could compete with NVIDIA, was effectively denied access to, to TSMC. SMIC, which is the leading digital foundry in China, can make 14 nanometer silicon. It is said they can perhaps get down to 7 nanometer without using EUV, but it's not clear that they have a strong ability to produce at that level. Mm. So uh, I I think, you know, despite this pulse of activity in China, a lot of those startups, the ones that are addressing the digital leading edge, are going to be hoping that they can... You know, effectively, they have to seek permission to gain access to leading-edge technology, which is a, a difficult situation for them. Mm. There are plenty of other Chinese startups, of course, which are addressing analog silicon or power semiconductors yeah. or other, you know, which are a long way behind the digital leading edge, and, and they will continue to act to yeah. take part in the industry. I mean, I think one other point I would make about the Chinese startups is... They do divide into categories that are some that are very obviously and focused on being domestic suppliers that have little interest in the broader market. And there are others who are truly global and they're multinational in their locations and they wish to address a a global market. Yeah, so it's a good good observation. Let's go back to, and I think we touched on it a little bit, but you, you talked about the full stack. But this year, 2023, there's a huge bandwagon riding on the back of AI, a lot of uh, VC money going into it, a lot of frenzy. I'm not sure that it's the same as the dot-com boom of you know the 2000s. Or I think there's that 
hype, but there's also a lot of depth underneath it. And not everybody's really an AI company, but they're doing lots of things using AI. But they're using AI as their marketing term to get on that bandwagon to get the investment. Any observations? Well, I, th- I think you're absolutely right, Nitin. I think the thing you have to remember is that AI is a blanket term. There is a continuum of activity from software that is, or algorithms that are very marginally machine learning, things which can slightly adapt to data input, to things which are neural networks and the various architectures that we've heard of around those, to these very complicated transformer algorithms with 16 billion parameters and so on that that Mm. really heavy computational systems. So there's a broad continuum. A lot of the activity will be down the more gentle pattern recognition type stuff. And a lot of the times you'll barely be aware that a bit of AI was used just to shave 5% off the energy consumption here or to speed up development time of, of of a chip. You know, it's not that we have an automated intelligence that just suddenly sits down and designs a chip. Yeah. We have a you know classical EDA flow where software modules have been added to or tweaked or amended to handle large data sets to improve debug coverage. And all of these little incremental benefits add up to a much larger benefit. At the same time, I'm sure there are some companies are just keen to say they've got AI, whether it's in software or in hardware or, or not really there at all. So... Caveat emptor, you know, you, you have to take all of these claims with and, and be prepared to verify them. Okay. Peter, thank you. I, I don't know whether there's any last sort of thought you want to give. Otherwise, you know, this has been quite an interesting discussion. It seems like AI is, is featuring now in that Silicon 100 list. And, you know, it's still sort of got a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, it, it has featured for a while and it, it has continued vigor. And I think it's going to be present for a long time. At some point, there will be a shakeout. At some point, mainstream semiconductor companies or the big hyperscalers and the big Googles, the Netflix, the Metas will perhaps start to define and dominate these markets. And that may be the point at which the startups either get acquired or go away. But for the next few years, I think AI is the big digital opportunity. And I think it's going to be very pervasive. But there are plenty of other analog and materials and IO and display type opportunities. Quantum is there in the more distant future. Well, you still need that interface to the real world. So yes, thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. Thank you, Nitin. That brings another episode of EE Times Current to its end. Thank you for listening. And thanks to our guest, Peter Clark. EE Times Current is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us at our website at eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript along with direct links to the other stories we've mentioned and other resources. EE Times Current is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Alex Hawley at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Stephanie Munoz. I'm Eric Singer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.